amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. A show that looks at Kansas City baseball's past, present, and future. High fly ball. Motley going back to the track. No outs to go. Davis comes to the plate. Strike three called. It's over. They've done it. The Royals are World Series champions. The world champion Kansas City Royals. This is the Kansas City Baseball Vault. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to the Kansas City Baseball Vault, brought to you by Kelly's Westport Inn, a baseball prospectus affiliate. Uh, we've we've got some some things we talked. We teased it last week. We're going to be doing our our big bold, uh, semi bold, however bold they may be, predictions, <laughs> along with some over under uh, predictions as well. However, before we get to that, we have something very special to discuss, folks. It has been. Now, if you can believe this, six years that we have been doing this podcast in one form or another. And <laughs> there have been many, many forms. <laughs> there have been many, many forms. And I say we because obviously Mike and myself, but with us we have the the founder of the Kansas City Baseball Vault, formerly known as the Royal Man Report, Royal Man himself, Troy Olson has joined us yet again uh, to celebrate this occasion. So, Troy, thank you so much for joining us from Georgia now, where you're doing, uh, where you're for work for, for a couple of weeks. So uh, thank you so much, man. How are you doing? I'm good. You know, six years ago this week, uh, Mike had, a couple weeks earlier, Mike had asked me, you know, I, after I had applied to write at Kings of Kaufman, he turned me down. And uh, I had told, he had heard that I was looking to do a, a podcast. And in my mind, it was going to be a podcast or a rotating host. And Mike was interested in something for Kings of Kaufman. So him and I took a dive at it. And then we got Christian Cologne for the first episode, who apparently didn't realize <laughs> what time I wanted him to call in. And 45 minutes of excruciatingly painful radio. Oh, God. We finally got the call in, and then we rushed through the interview, and it was it was radio magic. And then the second episode, we spent an hour talking about Bruce Chen. <laughs> As we are wont to do. We, <laughs> if if you could if you could gather up all the time we've spent talk, spent talking about Bruce Chen on this show, I, I don't know that I'd want to know how much time you'd actually have. It would be much <laughs> well, more than it, one hour. <laughs> in all seriousness, I'm really proud of what you've done, Jeff, with um, where we're at. I mean. When I decided to leave the show, we talked about what direction we wanted to go for a host, and and 
after some consideration on if it would be better for Mike or you or whatever, we went with you and that was something very new to you and you really grabbed it by the horns and you've really grown into it. And I'm just so proud because every time that you, you say things like we don't got much to talk about this week. And I look down at my phone and it's an hour and 20 minutes show. I'm like, he's keeping it together. It's, it's definitely <laughs> the Royal Man report. We talk about nothing for two hours. That's right. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. You know, I'm just, and, and I mean, the, obviously I'm a little tongue in cheek at the end, but I'm very serious. I, I think you guys have done a great job with the show. I'm very proud of what we did. I mean, the Royal Man report was a, was a labor of love and it was something that originally I was putting money out of pocket into. And the guys were the uh, big dumb fun show made me a great deal. And we were able to have an actual studio. And that was important to me because I didn't want to sound like a shitty telephone show, which is kind of what we are now, but we don't sound crappy. So that's good. Yeah. But <laughs> Frankly, there was another podcast at the time, and he did a, he did good work. He had great content, but I never thought his show had the quality that I wanted. And I was coming off of working with some guys at 810, uh, Jay Binkley and his his group at Three Guys in a Garage, and I wanted that kind of show. And I really felt like we produced that. I mean, we didn't always have the best content, but we had good guests, and we had, <laughs> we had good knowledge with Mike, and I kind of held it together as a host. And you know, I was I was really proud of what we did, you know, all those years ago. And then, of course, you know, I, I have to say, without Kelly's West Ford Inn, we wouldn't have made it because I was out of money. Nope. And literally, they've done so literally much. they picked us up two weeks before Mike and I had decided that we would end. If we didn't find money, we had two weeks left when Kelly's picked us up. So when we preach Kelly's and when we, you know, talk about our sponsorship with them, that's been a long time coming. And if you guys only knew half the stuff behind the scenes that they've done for us and and things that they've, you know, things that we've messed up and that they've picked up for us. And, I mean, there's just so much that's out there. And without them, this show wouldn't exist. So, Yeah, absolutely. You know, Kelly is, is definitely, you know, we really mean it when, when we talk about how great they've been to us and how we wouldn't exactly, as you just outlined, why we wouldn't be here without them. So um, definitely, you know, and, and we're all fans of Kelly's we used to go even when I was just kind of guest um, guest appearing on the show just every now and then as the quote-unquote chiefs guy <laughs> back at the old ice house days you know we would still even after the show we would all go meet up at Kelly's you know even before the sponsorship really happened that was kind of how the sponsorship came about and so we would all kind of meet up there and it was it was fantastic you know just having that I remember Telling my, you know, now wife, but girlfriend at the time, just, you know, how, how much fun I was having hanging out with you guys. And, you know, it's, it's great to, to talk baseball and talk sports and, and, you know, hang out with a lot of like-minded, you know, really fun people. We had some, we had some good times and it's been, you know, I'm also really proud of what we've done. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you invited me to come along for the ride because I wouldn't be here without you guys, you know, extending the invitation and, and keeping me around for some weird reason. So I, uh, <laughs> I appreciate that very much, but it's been a blast, man. This is, it's, it's, inc it's crazy when I was telling my wife about the, the show tonight being like, Oh, it's six years, you know, I mean, six that's years. Just, we were, we had just started dating my wife and I, and she was actually the one, that convinced me when I was writing for Kings of Kaufman and Mike sent out an email and said, Hey, you know, Troy can't, can't do the show this week because he's derby. out of town or roller derby. That's right. And so he, uh, so we need a stand in and my wife was like, yeah, you should just go for it. And so I, that's when I sent the, the email to Mike saying, I'd, I'd love to do it. And you know, the rest is history. But to think, 
you know, it was that advice from my girlfriend at the time and everything that's happened since then, you know, we've, we got engaged, we got married, uh, we moved into a new house and now we have a daughter and it's all, this, the show has been here through, uh, through all of it, man. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> I would say that I've it's probably, in- uh, our doing, it's probably the show that led you down that, that path of, of goodness and prosperity. There you go. <laughs> I won't disagree. <laughs> I'll say this, and I do want to thank Mike, too. That can't go un- unseen. I kind of started with Jeff, but, you know, without Mike, obviously, we wouldn't have had the structure of Kings of Kaufman. And now, BP, you know, it, this it would have never had what we had. And um, we tried a lot of things along the way, some that you and I both agreed on, some that we didn't, and I just kind of went with anyways. And, you know, like spreading the show too thin with the, trying to do it as a network, and that didn't quite work as I'd hoped. And um, <laughs> We you used know, to do two going- shows a week for about four months there. Yeah. Jeez. And so, you know, if, if we would have just been pine tar and us, I think it would have been good if we would have all been in. But unfortunately, the pine tar guys got busy with real, you know, more important stuff, I think you could even fairly say. And but Mike's now doing a lot of the behind the scenes stuff that you guys don't get to see. Um, well, it's so, a podcast, so they don't really see it either. You know, <laughs> audio. Yeah, form. This is true. <laughs> um. <laughs> But Sorry. No, I um, I, I kind of derailed my thought. Imagine that. I derailed but it no, for I just, you. I do want to thank Mike, and I want to thank Baseball Perspectives for picking this show up. I think, um, you know, that was something that we wanted all along, and that was kind of part of my five-year plan is that we would land on a network like that or that we would end up on the radio. And it didn't – the radio situation sort of happened, but not the way we wanted, and it was kind of messy, so – you know, I, uh, I'm just glad where the show's at right now. I feel like we're in a good place. I think we're all happy with it. Um, I mean, it, you know, just to give a little bit of insight, originally the Kelly thing just pay, didn't even pay for all of my expenses, but it paid enough to keep us going. And now because of BP and because of some other things, that because of Clint Scholes, honestly, a couple of years ago, we've been able to make a profit on this show now, I think for three years. I think we've been profitable on this show for three years. And that's something that not very many podcasts can say. And we ain't getting rich. No. But, you know, oh, God, everything told, no. I know, I remember once upon a time, Jeff said, if we're doing this for five years, I hope I'm making money. So, Jeff, you ain't getting rich, but you're making money. <laughs> so I guess I guess there I satisfied go. that part of it. So but um, really quick on a couple of baseball things. And if I get disconnected, I'll call back in because I've got I have to I might have switched phones. Um, okay. But I did want to say my uh, my, uh, you know, kind of big, big thing that's going to happen this year is that as a team. They're going to hit more home runs than Balboni. Well, I hope and, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> I would certainly I think, hope so. I think that's as brave as I can get because I don't know that any of these other home run hitters are going to be up long enough to produce a whole season worth of home runs. O'Brien's not going to be an opening day starter. He's going to be lucky to get, you know, four months, I think. And I still don't know. I mean, I would honestly say that if anybody's going to do it, it's Moose. I truly believe that. I've always mm-hmm. believed that. But he might only hit 250, but he could hit 50 home runs. But I don't know that it happens this year, if ever. But I, when he came up, Chris Coates and I were going to make a bet that Moose would hit. I was going to take Moose. He was going to take Hosmer because I never saw Hosmer as a home run hitter, and I thought Moose was going to be one of those guys that did nothing but hit home runs. And well, yeah. it hasn't really worked out that way. But I think we're still pretty close on Hosmer versus Moose on home runs. I don't know, Mike. You got mm, yeah. those in front of you by chance? Uh, well, they're probably. But I mean, I don't have their exact numbers in front of me, but I would say that. Um, as a rate, Moose has got to be well ahead of him. Even if you think so, even same. with him going down for a year, 
Well, I mean, per, okay. per at bat. I'm, uh, that's what I'm oh, thinking. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, per at bat. He's, a, he's absolutely. I mean, Hosmer's so. got like 102 career homers, I think, off the top yeah, of my head or I something. Yeah, I just pulled and, it up. He's got 102, exactly. Moose will have. And Moose has probably, 81. Oh, really? But over 688 games for Moose. Um, and let's see, 2,720 plate appearances. And Hosmer, 3,722. So Hosmer has almost a thousand more plate appearances yeah. than Moose, and only twenty. So a season and a half, a season and a half of plate appearances with only ten more home runs. Yeah, I, I really think Moose can still be that home run hitter. I don't know, I don't know when, and I maybe not at Kaufman. Maybe it ends up being somewhere else, unfortunately. But I still think he's got that um, that kind of hitter ability that he could. You know, could you imagine if somebody like Moose landed in like Coors Field or Houston or Texas, Yankee somewhere Stadium. like that. Yankee <laughs> oh, Stadium? Yankee Stadium. Yankee Stadium. He would probably hit thirty just in that stadium. Yeah, I mean, he could really pound, and so could Hosmer. But I really think Moose could really be one of those guys. I'm trying to think of um, Adam Dunn. You know, there's a good yeah. example. That's who I really always compared Moose to. I always thought he'd be, you know, that sub 300 hitter, well sub 300 hitter with 40 home runs. I really thought he'd break Balboni and it may or may not happen. And it may, he may hit more than Balboni one year, but it just may not be at Kaufman. So it, it just won't count. Right. But I just, I think that's how it goes, but I do find it interesting that they've built this team around home runs again a little bit. And they just, they never give up. Do they, they Ned Yost wants a home run hitting team in Kaufman so bad. Yeah. And it's never worked. We're going to give it another run this year and see what happens with it. But I do like, I do like the additions of Solaire, and yeah. I like Peter O'Brien. And I did an interview with him. He is a classy dude. Um, you know, he's got it all together. So I think I think there's a lot of good there, and a lot of good that happened this off season with, of course, the bad. And by the way, great sure. job on that show, you guys. I just things for a living now. I fix a lot of IT and ATM and stuff like that, and I have to drive a lot. And so, like I was joking with you guys that I had saved up like two weeks worth of, or not two weeks, 14 episodes of shows. Cause I knew I was going to have to Goodness. travel a lot. <laughs> and I listened to them all. In the were were you driving to, to Rio de Janeiro? <laughs> so I we were just talking about this. I have a huge area. I have one of the larger areas in the company. In fact, I cover from if nobody's going to probably know Santa Fe that listen or knows New Mexico that listens to this, but I essentially cover from Santa Fe to Las Vegas, New Mexico, to Taos, to Española, that whole circle. It's a pro- and then offshoots from there. It's approximately five hours round trip, and I've actually done that in one day hmm. where I've had to hit all four. And you can't cross because there's a mountain in the way. So if you're trying oh, no. to get from one yeah. to the other, you have to go down or above. So um, it, it makes it difficult. But I, I've been listening to a ton of podcasts because – not a lot of radio in the middle of the mountains either. Sure. So I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, and when I got when I got to the episode with Ventura, of course, it had already happened, and it had been a few weeks since it had happened. And I have never been like when players have died in the past. Some have touched me a little more than others. The drunk driving ones always hit home because for those that know me, know that I lost my sister when I was seven years old to a drunk driver. So those always hit home for me. But. Megan actually, my wife actually mentioned to me at one time, she's like, I've never seen you really like this involved with a player's death, you know, and it was just, it just wasn't supposed to happen. And then so much has gone on in the Dominican. I mean, there's been, you know, what now, four or five, six deaths down there in just the last two or three years. And it was so hard to digest 
all that. And then you guys, I thought did a really good job of, of kind of bringing it all together. Um, and, uh, and so I thought that was, that was really well done with everything that had gone on. And, and I thought otherwise the, you know, uh, Jeff's call to Dayton Moore to give you guys one good thing to talk about a week was working pretty well there for a while until that happened. And then, yeah. And it screwed things up a little bit, but you guys did a hit on the WBC, and I wanted to bring up one thing about that. Do you know they've sold over a million tickets for that? That's a good amount of tickets <laughs> for the WBC, uh, think, really. For the WBC, I heard before they were even uh, into the Tokyo Dome, rounds. Korea. Those are pretty big stadiums. Mexico so City. Final Four. They had sold nine hundred and fifty thousand tickets last week. I had heard. So I don't know how many yeah. they sold these last. Well, few- last night they said that the attendance was like 30,000. So, I mean, they'll pass that easily. So, and I mean, even 30,000 for an exhibition game is in America when you can watch the greatest players, you know, 162 times a year minimum in, you know, especially in LA and San Diego where they can just drive up and down the coast and catch games for both leagues and, you know, you, if you were a real baseball fan in those cities and you wanted to catch 300 games, you could probably do it in Southern California. Um, that'd be I, that'd be I, great. I, <laughs> I mean, I even watching even watching when I had season tickets, even watching 60. Now, granted, it was some bad baseball at times, but yeah. I don't know how Chris Coach does what he does because I was I was usually tapped out about 60 65 games. I just yeah, you hit June and you're like, no, nah, I'm I'm good. Well, <laughs> I don't I don't, get, I don't need to see Mike Jacobs again. Right. And ushers yell at you if you don't wear a suit, you know, your your stupid costume to to the game. You know, I snuck in like two games. They're like, no, no, you got to go home. Why? You don't have your suit on. Oh, give me a break. I think a 20 minute, you know, ordeal. And and then you can't even really enjoy the game because people bother you. That thing took off way different than I'd ever expected it to. It was fun, but definitely had its life. <laughs> So, um, other than that, I think I'm done. But I just wanted to thank you guys. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. I wanted to hit all. I had a, like little notes. I had. I literally was like starting a notebook at one point of stuff that I was going to actually well, email I mean, you about. That, yeah. that was the first lesson that Gnert gave us. Was you know, come prepared, have a list of things to talk about. So, it's a, there you it's, go. It's a habit. So the, the first and, uh, is... big dumb fun show on Twitter at, at big dumb fun show. Kelly's is at Kelly's Bar KC, but that's in the ending. By the way, great job on that too, Mike. The uh, little ending bit is really, really good. I haven't told you that either. So, oh, the ending bit, mean- yeah, because oh. there were so many times where we forgot to add that at the end, and I, I was editing the show, and I'd be like, "Oh, we didn't mention it." Well, crap. So I was like, "Screw it, I'll just record sure, I said the I thing." Do that for three years, never did. So I'm glad one of us actually yeah. got around to doing that five years later. You know, right? Exactly. <laughs> so. <laughs> It, you know, and, and this show will always have – it will always be special to me. I don't do nearly as much as I should with it, and I don't – you know, I just – it's hard now because, you know, you were talking about relationships. This show's older than my my marriage. You know, I, I didn't even know my wife when we started doing this show. I, I was remember when you met your wife, yeah. yeah. Right. And so, I mean, there – I mean, and that's literally what it's become. We were guys that just knew each other through a stupid app on the computer. And, you know – we all happen to find our way through Royals baseball. And I think, you know, we've all become pretty good friends. I know you know, you both were at my wedding and um, Mike's decided to never get married and just keep all the late. <laughs> Not entirely my decision in some cases, but anyway, 
<laughs> and of course, Jeff, you know, I was long gone by the time you got married, but you know, it's hard out here in New Mexico sometimes to keep, to keep up with it. And you guys have always been the one source that I know I can trust to, to get a little bit of Royals news. And I mean, literally there's been things that I've completely missed because I can't read Lesky every day anymore. Cause I'm driving 75 miles an hour and nobody needs that. Sure. And you know, so, you know, once a week I get to have, I get to have my Royals fill and it comes from you guys. Cause I don't have, 610s i have a 610 sports but they don't carry royals baseball <laughs> they talk a no, lot about the mexico lobos but sure. you know i don't i don't get my i don't get my royals fixed i'm sure i could call them up on the on the phone or whatever um through the app but it's just not the same it's not the same you're you're really disconnected and and uh so it's kind of nice to have something that feels like home every week so thank you guys for keeping it up and uh i'm gonna jump off and uh let you guys do what you do best. And, uh, I'm always around. We're going to try to, I'm going to try to do some different things. I want to talk to Mike about I'd like to do some interviews with some guys that are still around. Cause I have time now with this job. I have a better schedule to, uh, to do some things. And I jokingly, I have to jokingly told Mike, we needed to have Jason Adam on tonight. And I really think I do need to try to get in touch with him. Just Cause you know, we've never talked to him about how it felt to watch the Royals win the world series. And didn't know, cause I had asked him once upon a time, how would you feel if you were traded for the player that made, that made a difference in the playoffs? And I don't know if I was feeling a little psychic that day or what, but he wouldn't answer me, you know, cause he wanted to be the guy sure. that made a difference in the world. And he was the guy that got traded for a guy that made the difference in the playoffs. And so I, I want to call and talk to him about that. And he's married now as well. Um, I think he had just started <laughs> Miss Delaware when we started this show. Uh-huh. So yeah, cause he was in, he was in that, Wilmington. He was a blue rock. Right. Yep. Right. So we've seen him all the way and he's always been a good friend of ours. And, you know, there's so many others that I was looking for. Ryan Verdugo doesn't even have a Twitter anymore. Oh, that's disappointing. And, Lane Adams is still on there. I interact with Lane Adams quite a lot. Part of the tripod. Right. Yep. Oh, the tripod. And Bubba Starling, we never did get him on. but We never did even, get Bubba Starling, no. <laughs> not even sure we'd go down that road at this point. The, it's too the, sad. the great white whale and, yeah. Oh, yes. I need to look up if he can still go play football for the Huskers. That would still be okay. I think we could still use a quarterback in Nebraska. So It would probably turn out better than his Royals career. You know, and it looked like he had it together, you know, and, and we're kind of getting tangent like we always do, and I don't even think that's a word well, I'm just making up. One, la- one last thing before you take off, the, the story that I always like to think about going back to that Christian Cologne interview, debacle, whatever. Because yes. <laughs> it, no, like this- it was the second time that we'd actually, like, talked in person, so the show had to be miserable for anybody who was listening to that first one. But I got to find I have it somewhere at my house. I just got to find it. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to chip away at it. But I remember one of the questions that we asked him was, when you make it to the big leagues, what would be more rewarding to you? Would it be getting the game-winning hit or scoring a game-winning run? And lo and behold, you talk about, you know, prophecies. That's the guy who scores the game-winning run in the wild card game and drives in the go-ahead run in game 5 of the World Series. And I was just like, "Okay, just do both. That's a good answer. That's a. <laughs> I think he said whatever will help the team, but right. But hey, he he did he did each. Both, both helped the team. So they, yeah. And you did. think about where his place in Royals history is going to be because he's never going to be a great player. But you think about how many players in this city are kind of revered, and they never did anything during the regular season, but they had those guys in '85 that just did a little bit here and there. I um, mean, Buddy Bianca Lana. Yep. Yes, who was Zip on our a. show. 
Yes, he, um, he was on our show on fifteen ten, and even he said, "I wasn't any good. I just got one good hit in the playoffs." Yeah, I mean, we and, we were even talking about it before that interview. We were like, "Can we talk about how he was really not a good player?" <laughs> yeah, and then he brought it up himself, and was like, well, "I guess it's a go." <laughs> and I think he's going. To, I think Chris. I think he is going is going to be Christian Cologne or vice versa. Christian Cologne is going to be going to be him. I can never say his name right, so I'm not going to try. But. Um, <laughs> I think that's what Christian Cologne is, and he will always be revered in Royals history for being such a major part of those two playoff runs. He's going to be in two key highlights every every big yep. movie package. It's going to be Christian Cologne will be a featured player in it. So yeah, I think you're right on. And Trot Dyson, you know, it's sad to see him go, but I mean, it's the right move. And and I mean, and just so much has gone on this this preseason that is so exciting for Royals baseball Karn's making that fifth spot that dude worked hard this preseason to get that spot and I think I'm I, I was start not today in, too yep when or when your Ventura died um that was I I remember I'm friends on Twitter with Dave from 93.3 and he was still you know we're gonna win the division blah blah I was like there's no way not with this team as it is today there's no way, and I don't know where they get the money to go out and sign. Because we're the Royals. I mean, it's not that the team's cheap, because that's not what I'm saying, because they're not. And that that whole thing needs to stop. If you think the Royals are cheap still, you need an education. <laughs> you can't do math. Um, <laughs> yes. You can't. And, you know, and I never thought this team would have a chance. But what they've went out and done this offseason and the moves they've made both through trades and free agent signings, I'm a believer. I think this team can do it. And I didn't feel that way the day Yordano died. I felt like it was going to be a rebuilding season and they were going to trade everybody off and we were going to go from there. Well, it was and on that possibility. Note, I, <laughs> and it was. And on that note, I will for real get off this time. And again, thank you guys for keeping it going. I'm really glad we were able to keep the show going. Um, you know, we, we changed the name because that was the point when I realized that there was a good chance that someday Royal Man would not be part of the Royal Man Report and it, it's been sad for me, and you know, it's something I talk to my wife about pretty regularly that I, I do miss doing a podcast and have thought about, you know, what I could do, and and it's just it's if you've never done a podcast, don't. They're so <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, they're they're pretty miserable at times, like you know, and it's something that you feel committed to because it's it's your baby, but. If you haven't, don't save yourself the headache because I can speak for both myself and Mike for hours of editing at times or shows that didn't happen because one button didn't get pushed or you lose, you have an interview with Joel Goldberg and your computer crashes twice. That was my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We blame that on the uh, wind yes. now. The great, the greatest hits, we will. Yep. The wind is a, a so, problem. <laughs> yes. Oh God. So, so until you're in seasonally warm weather, because every time I was listening to an episode, it seemed like it was 75 there while I was driving in 13 degree weather. So, um, well, today your- actually a normal, it's a normal day. It was like 50s. low 40s at the low and then kind of like mid to high 50s at the high. So for March, late March, that's pretty normal. It was miserably cold here in Atlanta last week, but this week it's been in the upper 70s. Atlanta so. of all places. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was 25 degrees colder in Atlanta than in the mountains of Santa Fe, New Mexico last week. Wow. Every day. It was miserable. I was hot. Well, no, I was cold, but I was, you know, pissed. And uh, <laughs> so this week has been much better. It's been in between 70 and 80 every day. So it's been kind of nice to be able to stand outside by the lake and talk to some good old friends you haven't talked to in a while. Yep. Well, hey, Troy, you are welcome whenever. 
you know, this is, we yeah. wouldn't be here without you. So appreciate it so much. And Mike, appreciate you and everything you do. And, and as Troy mentioned, I wanted to make sure I hit on this, that uh, <clears throat> I guess you, for those who don't know, as Troy mentioned, Mike does a lot of behind the scenes stuff. It's all recorded on Mike's computer. He does all the editing. You know, I just show up and lend whatever I can and I'm, I'm there for assistance. But, you know, when, <clears throat> especially you know, with my wife getting pregnant and, my uh, having the kid and everything, Mike's really stepped up and done a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff that's really helped. So Mike has been the true engine of the show, but uh, Troy, you were the you and Mike were the birth of this, and I appreciate you guys having me on. So thanks so much for coming. And, no and One more thing I did want to say. Um, I did want to say one more thing. Congratulate. I know, right? Mike, in perfect form. Um, <laughs> I did want to say congratulations on your second baby. I don't know that I've really talked to you since you've had your second kid, and your kids second, are so well, damn cool. Hold on. Hold don't on, you have two second. already? No, 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 no. Just the one. Just the one. Okay, see, that's how that's how confused I am. You're going to make him have a heart attack, Troy. Yeah. Like, congratulations to Hunter, who used to be part of the network, who also had a baby, correct? Hunter did have a baby, yes. Yes. So congratulations to him if he actually listens. I uh, I did want to say that I haven't I'm not on the Twitterverse much anymore. I you know I'll tweet here and there, but that place is scary anymore. It's not, it's <laughs> Twitter not is a Twitter dark place. place. Yes, it's not the Twitter that the three of us met on. Let's put it that way. So <laughs> on that note, thank you, Jeff. I will step out. You guys have a great show and a great day, and uh, go Royals. All right, awesome. Thanks, Roy. Thanks, Troy. All right, and with that, I think we'll take a quick break, and then when we get back, we'll we'll start digging into some some Royals business. We'll start talking over unders, and then uh, we'll finish out the show with some bold predictions. So stick with us, and we'll get to the fun over under uh, stuff when we get back from the short little break. The Kansas City Baseball Vault will be right back after these messages. We're where you want to be. Baseball with the Royals. The Vault. Every town has a place where elites gather for witty conversations over trendy cocktails. In Kansas City, that place is definitely not Kelly's Westport Inn. From its humble beginnings at the corner of Westport Road and Pennsylvania Avenue, Kelly's Westport Inn has seen it all. Pioneer wagon trains filled with families heading west, Civil War battles, and Major League Baseball championships. Kelly's is born of history and tradition, and we hope you'll allow us to become part of your history and traditions as well. Kelly's Westport Inn, 500 Westport Road, Kansas City, Missouri.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the Kansas City Baseball Vault, brought to you by Kelly's Westport Inn, a baseball prospectus affiliate. I'd like to send one more shout out and thank you to Troy Olson for joining us again. He of the uh, Royal Man, the Royal Man fame, and the founder of the Royal Man Report and Kansas City Baseball Vault and all the rest. So, uh, thanks to to Troy and good luck to him and all his uh, all his endeavors. So, um, with that, we will we will segue into some some Royals baseball talk as we are want to do on this show for the last few is this the third consecutive year now we've done this the this is the third annual uh kansas city baseball vault over under uh, extravaganza uh yes and we're also doing a cakewalk this year true fact so (laughs) (laughs) fact indeed uh so uh, first we'll we'll start with um we have some that we we kind of want to do a little bit of a of a deeper dive into and one of them that may be the most intriguing over under we have and that we've had in a long time and it's because it involves possibly the most intriguing player on the Royals right now, Eric Hosmer. We've had so much that we've heard of him from the offseason in terms of can the Royals sign him? Should they sign him? Does does Hosmer want to be back in Kansas City? What kind of contract would he get? You know, last year he had a good year home run wise, but other than that, you know, he had the first half of the year he looked like the player that everyone thought he was going to be, and then he did his patented, you know, two-month disappearance where he's just out of whack and he can't get anything going and you know the the end numbers look all right but a little bit more average than they should given how high his peaks have been um but anyway you know one of the big factors that gets kind of overlooked i think by the casual fan is just how many times eric hosmer hits the ball on the ground you know it's really I, i don't know if and it's it's hard for the average fan to notice things like those, you know. And I'm you know I'm including myself in this. I'm not saying that I can you know pinpoint these things when I see them. But when you can't sit there and watch every game um, with a kind of a scout's eye and track balls and who hits what and how hard they're hit and all that kind of stuff, you know, it's it's really hard to get a feel for you know tendencies that players have. I think you know there was. A couple of years ago, you know, especially when Hosmer was struggling really bad, there was always the kind of joke of him rolling over and hitting a double play to second base and, you know, finding himself in those spots a lot. And that he's kind of shaken that a little bit, but he still hits the ball on the ground a lot. So our first over-under we're going to talk about is Eric Hosmer's ground ball rate. And we have set that for the over-under at 55%. Now, some background for you, Mike. Eric Hosmer's mm-hmm. career ground ball rate is 53%, but this for the last three consecutive seasons has increased. So he started his first year. These numbers are according to, according to fan graphs, by the way. So he started his first year with a 49.7% ground ball rate. Last year, he was at 58.9%, which is obscene. That is an obscene amount of ground balls. And he hit 25 home runs still at Kauffman Stadium. And his line drive percentage was 16.5%. Like that is um, – I mean that is uh, – well, league averages we, – we've talked about this before. Is it 20 about 20%. Yeah. yeah. So I mean that is well below – that's like replacement – I don't know if I'd say replacement. But that is you know, well below 
league average to the point where you would say that's just not good. But yeah. you know, he still hit 25 home runs. He still hit for a solid OPS. You know, he still did well. And these two factors just don't. They're what is preventing Eric Hosmer from taking that next step to being that truly elite hitter in this league. So for this season, over under prediction, Mike, 55%. Does has, does Eric Hosmer, does he right the ship? Does he do better than he did last year? And, you know, 50, if, he, if you just say it, it ends up being 55%, that's actually better than last year, which is still ridiculous. But, yeah. I mean – you think you can he can get under that even and get closer to what's the league average ground ball rate? That only I'm not sure that um, is it around off the top of my head. I don't know. I would say it's probably closer to forty five to forty eight percent. I think it's somewhere the forty five was off the top of my head was what I was thinking. So, you know, I mean he's well above the league average for that. Mm-hmm. Or what you know, you would so <clears throat> um so what are your thoughts? Do you think what's your over under on fifty five percent ground ball rate for Osmer? I would think that he will be under that percentage, so his, his ground ball rate under will be that percentage better okay. than that. So, um, but you know, and it it kind of goes back to you know, yeah, his career average is is fifty three percent, which is still a lot, and it's still a lot for a guy who's supposed to be a number three or number four hitter. Uh, the, the but I also think that last year was an outlier. Um, but the other thing that I I'm thinking about with Hosmer is you know he's in a contract year. He is pretty hyped up. I mean, he's starting tonight for Team USA in the World Baseball Classic final, and he's been instrumental in their reaching he's this been a point. Big piece. He's been their best hitter. I mean, he, he's, I think he has the most hits, maybe the most RBIs, most runs scored. I mean, for little Eric Hosmer from Kansas City, it's pretty, pretty impressive. But. You know this uh, this ground ball rate over the course of his career has really, really sapped his potential because ground balls usually are outs. You know, you talk about his sixteen percent line drive percentage. I think somewhere, some study, I think it was Baseball Prospectus, even a number of years ago, were determined that line drives generally about three fourths of the time will go as hits because they're hit more solidly, uh, they're hit harder. And they're more difficult to field. They usually can get over the infielders and land before the outfielders. Whereas a fly ball, you've got time to get under it. A ground ball, you know, it's it's usually fieldable to some extent, or, or, or a lot of those are. And so that's going to be a problem for Hosmer unless he does make an adjustment. Now, what we've seen in the WBC, and granted, it's the WBC and it's akin to spring training, but he hit a towering homer that he he connected in San Diego when they had their marine layer down, you know. So the conditions were not very good for home runs, and he nailed this ball and hit it out. So that was comforting. He's also driven a lot of balls to left center on a line and and really gotten a couple of doubles that way. So if that points to an adjustment, that is probably going to be beneficial to him. The other thing that I'm thinking about is there has been a lot over the last, especially this offseason, but the last maybe year and a half, a lot of focus in baseball by hitting coaches, hitting gurus and analysts, you know, just baseball people about launch angles and the potential for power increases for, you know, harder hit balls, better exit velocity, all these things. 
just by changing a little bit of your approach. And to me, if that's an adjustment that Eric Hosmer is capable of making, it might be the thing that unlocks all of it. You know, everything that we've thought from day one, from when, you know, he was tearing up uh, the, the Texas league in the playoffs and at the end of 2010. And, and when he was hitting 400 in Omaha in April of 2011 and, and got 10,000 people to walk up and, you know, look like a future MVP candidate and then, you know, started hitting ground balls. So <laughs> if his pitch selection gets better, you know, he is a guy who thinks he can hit everything and he can usually make contact with about everything, but you don't always want to make contact with everything. Um, if he can make those adjustments and maybe get a little more loft in that swing, um, not only will his ground ball percentage be better, but everything across the board should be better too. So um, he's, he's particularly motivated to maybe make those adjustments or try to make those adjustments. But I also just think that the stats, the numbers will probably balance out to where he will finish below a 55% ground ball rate in 2017. So <clears throat> I am actually going to go over on this one uh -oh. so uh, it's it's close it's a very that's what i mean this is what you want to create when you when you have it over under 55 percent actually sounds pretty right to me so it's hard to to say you uh -huh. know one way or the other like it's really you know i think conventional wisdom would say go under because it's so hard to, <laughs> to hit that many ground balls but he's also like consistently Hosmer, been he's done it. 52 53 ish yep. so yeah yeah and and you know What's it's so odd? So I pulled up the the league totals or league averages for the year of 2016, right? So we were correct. Line drive percentage for the year, I average last year was 20 percent, 20.7, so almost 21 percent. So he, you know, he was uh, five percent below it, 4.2 percent below in the line drive rate, right? So that's 20 percent below league average is what he was, and then. We were we were right as well. The ground ball rate was was forty five percent, forty four point seven. So he was thirteen point two percent above the league average. That's thirty three percent almost. Jeez, that he is above the league average in ground balls. So the kicker here, and the reason why he's able to have why he was able to have a good season, the the league average home run to fly ball ratio was 12.8% last year and his was 21.4%. Wow. So and that was by far the highest of his career. Um by let's see the previous season he had a 15% home run to fly ball. So um and he is he's hitting he hits fly balls well below league average obviously because <laughs> everything he hits below league average at all it goes back to feeds into the ground balls which mm -hmm. is so far above league average but um so he's able to especially last year was able to turn fly balls into uh, home runs at a really really good rate now the, the reason i think he's gonna go over is because you mentioned can he make the adjustment I think the answer to that question is yes, and I think Hosmer has proven he can make adjustments that can make him a top-level player. What he has not proven is an ability to maintain mm -hmm. that level for an extended period of time. We saw it last year. He was just ripped on awesome. out of the gate last year. He absolutely 100% deserved 
the All-Star. It wasn't Royals fans stuffing the ballot box. He deserved to be in the All-Star game last year. He deserved that MVP award. He played fantastic. And then, you know, after that, he – I don't know what happened. He just kind of got out of whack and, you know, he, he changed some things with his swing. And next thing you know, he's, you know, hitting in the 260s. And he's not that, you know, 320, you know, 30 home run possible guy that we all thought he was going to be. So, you know, I, I, I think that we'll see Hosmer starting out probably decent for, to pretty good. And, you know, making some good adjustments and the league will adjust back to him. And, you know, it's it's the same thing we talk about with, you know, new players that come up and mm-hmm. every season. Yeah, it's like Whit Merrifield. This, yeah. You Unless know, it, was and awesome I, for a month and a half. And then the league figured out, hey, stop throwing him fastballs. <laughs> yeah, And, you know, the a lot of the great hitters have ways to adapt to what people are doing that are trying to adapt to them as being great hitters. You look at Miguel Cabrera, you look at like Tony Gwynn, you know, those guys are very adaptable hitters. And the thing, the, what made them so great though, is they could quickly adapt. So when they started a season and then pitchers figured them out after, you know, a quarter of the season, half the season, whatever, started to try and approach things differently. Well, they were able to quickly adapt back to that and not miss a beat. Whereas Eric Hosmer, it seems that if that same scenario occurs for him, well, he just kind of disappears and he just gets into these. And those are when you start seeing him flailing at that. You know, I used to call it. I used to sit there on Twitter. We'd all be watching games together on Twitter and, you know, it'd be, you know, base two men on Royals tie game down by one, whatever. You know, this is a few years ago and it would be, you know, low and away pitch every mm-hmm. time strike out Eric Hosmer. He fell for it every time. You know, and when he doesn't fall for that pitch, that's when he's going really good. That's when he's hitting well. And then, you know, when you start seeing him flailing at that pitch, at least just, you know, kind of yeah. this is anecdotal. When, when he basically just bends at the hips. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. You know, you when know what I'm talking about. When he's got so. a right angle in his body going for the pitch. <laughs> yes, when that happens. Yeah, that's when bad, it's not bad going well. Things are occurring. Yeah. So you know, that's um, – I just – I fear that's what's going to happen for Hosmer. And then I think when you look at the, the statistics, you know, at the end of the year, you're going to say, oh, it was a pretty good year. You know, you look at, you know, what he hit last year, 266, 328, 433. You know, what is that, a 761 OPS? You know, that's, that's solid, pretty good. And the 25 home runs, 80 or, or 104 RBIs, I mean – you know, so he. You look at those stats. You're like, that's a good season. I would absolutely take that. You know, but then you say, okay, he's a, it's first baseman. Everyone's hyping him as this guy that's supposed to be the super elite hitter. There's more to be had there, yeah. especially when you see where he is at his at his highest points. So, I just I'm, you know, I'm not trying to deride Eric Cosmer. I still think he's a very good player, and I'd love him to be a Royal for a long time. But, you know, he is overrated where he is currently, and he just has not been able to show the consistency. You know, I think at his at his peak, at his highest level, he can be as good as any player in baseball, honestly. I mean, you know, with the exception of, like, your Mike Trouts and your, you know, Bryce Harper. But that, that next level, you know, he can, as far as hitters are concerned, I think he can be right up there. I think he can be Paul Goldschmidt level at his highest peak, but he just can't sustain that for very long. And that's been his Achilles heel his entire career. So uh, 
that's why I think that that we're that's why I'm going going with over on the 55 percent for the as absurd as that sounds. That's what yeah. I'm doing. 55 percent ground ball rate for a power hitter. Right, so. six four like looks every part. Yeah, just the, you know, central casting could could do a better job be. of finding your first baseman and all star and. And he hits the ball on the ground like he's Tony Pena Jr. Sometimes, <laughs> God, I don't know what Tony Pena okay. Jr.'s ground ball rate was, but I'm just guessing. Yeah, could you? Okay, I mean, let's say, just for the sake of argument, think about what Hosmer would do if you hit take take his ground ball rate down to league average. So going from 55% down to 45, right? So then that, then let's just be equal with it and say that those get equally distributed to fly balls and line drives. So then he goes from 16.5% line drive to 21.5% and 24% fly ball to 29, right? And mm-hmm. then, so then if he's got a 21% home run to fly ball ratio, let's see. He had 117 fly balls. I'm trying to do some quick do some math. accountant math in my head. So if he had 279 ground ball, oh man, this would be really tough. I could figure this out eventually, but I'm not going to bore Maybe we can do that next week. We can figure yeah. it out next week. <laughs> but, I mean, you got to wonder how many more home runs he would have hit. Even at Kaufman, mm-hmm. you know, if he would just had a normal ground ball rate and then evenly distributed those between line drives and fly balls, you'd have – he probably would have had over 30 and been – been coming strong at that Balboni record coming at the end of the year, but I digress. Maybe we'll look into that more for for next week. That'll be a fun little topic. So. Uh, Tony Pena Jr.'s career ground, ground ball percentage was fifty six point eight percent. Good lord, good lord. So that's what your that's what company you keep, Hosmer. <laughs> for shame, for shame, shame, uh, the shame, shame walk all the way shame. to first base or all the way back to the dugout in his case because ground balls most likely for now. <laughs> So moving on, next over under. Um, we're going to talk about you – know, we, we talked about him a lot recently, especially in regards to another World Baseball Classic player from the Royals, Salvador Perez. Okay. So similar to Eric Hosmer's Achilles heel of inconsistency, Perez has had one, but his inconsistency, inconsistency is consistent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the, the – and it, it's not entirely his fault either. I don't think so. <clears throat> the issue with Salvador Perez obviously has been his overuse. So if you look at Salvador Perez and you break down, I'm just going to put up, um, pull up last year's splits, right? So for 2016, um, in this first half, he hit 283, the 318 on base, and a 500 slugging percentage with 14 home runs, right? So that's good. 818 OPS for the first half of the season. For an all-star catcher who threw out half the guys who yes. tried to steal against him. Yes. Yeah. So that is a really good. <laughs> yes, that is – if you duplicate that, so he would have had the same line – 818 OPS, but 28 home runs total, and it would have had he had 41 RBIs, so 82 RBIs, let's say. Then do that for I mean that's easy. He would have made MVP probably. Assume you know, or at least been in the discussion. He would have been a big, 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 you know, consideration for it. Especially because if he would have repeated that, the Royals probably would have been better down the stretch and may have been yeah. more in the playoff. Maybe even made the playoffs. So anyway. Um, but the second half of 2016, 
he hit 201 with a 248 on base percentage and a 357 slug and only hit eight home runs. And that is in um, 61 games. He had 308 plate appearances first half, 238 plate appearances second half. So, you know, part of it is the fact that it's the, the, the all-star break is considered the halfway point for baseball, which has always boggled my mind because it's never actually the halfway right, point. Right, it's about 88 games or so in. Yeah, it's always. So it's not necessarily the most fair comparison when you try and talk just the counting stats, like home runs and RBIs and such. Um, but let's actually – so that was just last year. But I'm going to pull up his career splits here and then we'll um, – see. so uh, career splits for – Salvador Perez, his career first half of the season splits 282 batting average, 312 on base, 456 slugging. So it's a 768 OPS, and he has hit 48 home runs and 161 RBIs in the first half of, of all of, for his career. The second half for his career is 263, nearly 20 points lower on the batting average, 293 on base, nearly 20 points lower <sighs> On the on-base percentage, and 410 slugging, 46% lower on the slugging percentage, a 703 OPS, and he's hit 39 home runs, so nine less home runs. And we should point out that in 2012, he was out for the first half because of a knee injury. So Yes. So there's a little bit of skew even in that. Because um, if you were to bring up – we can just talk about one more individual season really quick. 2015 – um, his splits, uh, those were actually pretty pretty similar. Yeah, not, so two, not, not too bad. 262 batting average, 726 OPS in the first half, 258 batting average, 680 OPS in the second half. So regardless, there's definitely been a trend in his career in recent years of decreasing in the second half of the season. Many people assume it's because of overwork ned ned likes to have him in the game rightfully so i understand that but sometimes as a manager you have to fight that compulsion salvador perez part of it may be his own doing because he loves to play baseball as they all say you know he loves the game he loves the game you know i'm sure he does but sometimes you got to save people from themselves Hmm. and keep (laughs) salvador perez from playing so he can be fresher later in the season but um so for for our uh, over-under here, we, we've we set the number for the second half OPS for Salvador Perez of 675 on the OPS. So let's keep in mind here that <clears throat> I'm going to pull up his – what did I say his career numbers were? His uh, career career second, half. second half 703 OPS. 703 OPS. So yep. we're being pretty generous for his career. But last year it was it – was, not 703. No. It was a lot less. <laughs> it was so, 605. 605. There you go. Yeah. So um Mike, we'll start with start with you. What do you what's your feeling on that? 675 OPS second half over under. Um Essentially, you're hoping that he is able to be as good or better than that second half of 2015. And, you know, the 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 kind of condition on this is, well, 
He spent the last week off because of the injury sustained at the WBC. He first game back in action was today down in spring training, and he hit a double and scored on a, another double. Um, seems to be fine, but it was still an issue with the knee. It's a knee that he's had problems with before, had the meniscus surgery back in 2012. He's got to play a lot of games. You know, Ned's going to push him as long as he can. So I don't think that the usage is going to change, um, you know, unless somebody steps in and says, hey, you really need to give him a day off, maybe two every now and then in a given week. Um, Drew Butera has hit pretty well this spring. He hit pretty well last year. He, he hit Perez's knee pretty well. He hit well. Perez's Hey-o. knee pretty well. Um, so, I mean, if you feel comfortable with him behind the plate and in the lineup a little bit more, then maybe you can sit him. You know, last year we set uh, Sal Perez was, looked at his uh, his true average, and at the All-Star break it looked like – I don't remember what we set the number at, but – um, at the Ulster break, he looked very good to clear it. Looked, oh, yeah, this is going to be an easy over at the end of the year. And that second half was so bad that he fell underneath that. You know, he had room to spare, and he fell under it. So, you know, it's it's not a gradual drop, really, from first half to second half. You know, the weather gets warmer. You're, you know, the the, the impact of those previous games – really build up and at least it seems to show in Perez in the way that he's performed historically. So I am going to lean under on this because I just don't think that the pattern will change. Uh, his plate discipline is certainly not going to change uh, anytime soon. I think maybe he'll probably continue to, to hit a lot of homers and he might make more contact this year than last year. If if his strikeout rate last year is an anomaly and not a new thing that we have to worry about, uh, so I think if he, I'll say under, but I I do think that if they if they give him a little bit more rest, he'll have a more productive second half. But I don't think they're going to give him more rest, so that that seals it for me. You know, I kind of hemmed in hot on this one myself, and. I I wanted to believe that the injury to Perez and maybe that flash of you know not only the instantaneous reaction but the next couple of days when they were waiting on the results from the MRI maybe that would kind of let the reality set in of what this team would be like without Sal Perez and so okay we've got to find a better way to handle the situation and make sure he gets more rest you know that would be the ideal outcome from the injury scare. That's what I want to believe. Right. What I I know is that this is the Royals and it's Ned Yost. Mm -hmm. And all these times, these things that seem so obvious for people to, for the Royals to do, they don't do. So I'm inclined to agree with you on this one that they, um, the pattern won't change and they're going to play Salvador Perez for 140 games or more. Uh, and most likely he's going to dip, you know, in the second half, you just hope it wasn't as putrid as last second half. You know I mean? We, mm-hmm. He's had a couple of bad ones, but after those, um, you know, a couple of years of, you know, not playing a full season and injuries and such, 
he had two straight seasons where he hit 260, you know, between 280 and 290 on base. And it's like, okay, that's the guy he is. We know that now. That's 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 okay. And then last year he fell below that even. So, you know, you just got to hope that it doesn't get so bad that you know, he keeps falling. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I don't know that the Royals – and I kind of see it, you know. I mean, like obviously, you would want Sal Perez to be out there every day, but then it's weird because you're like, okay, we have such a good catcher, we don't need to invest money in a great backup because why would you do that? Yeah, but then if you're at the only same getting time, twenty starts out of the guy. Exactly, but then at the same time, when you look and say, well, maybe we should give Sal a rest today and not start him, but then we'd have to play Drew Buter. No offense to Drew Buter, but he's not. He's not Sal Perez. So mm-hmm. when you've got that kind of a chasm, it's like it's harder to say, well, let's just sacrifice a really good player for just a mediocre one. And, ha- you know, we'll pretend like everything's OK. So like, I kind of get it's a weird predicament. But those are the decisions that you have to make in baseball. And, you know, they haven't made them. So uh, unfortunately, I think we're going to see another precipitous decline for Salvador Perez, unfortunately. That's a bummer. <laughs> yes. So anyway, let's try and let's try and cheer things let's back up, up a little bit. Let's. So the next um, topic we'll dive into here. Talk about Mike Mustakas, right? So he and you really you look back and you forget. At least I do sometimes. Like I remember, you know, he righted the ship in uh, 2015 quite a bit, but you forget how good of a season he really had that year. You know, totally deserved his all-star appearance. He was a huge part of that playoff run, winning the World Series, everything. I mean, he hit hit 284 with an 817 OPS, 22 home runs. He really looked like he was coming into his own, becoming that player that he thought last year starting the season. He had seven home runs in only 27 games. So, I mean, he was really on fire to start the season, and his batting average and numbers – got dragged down a little bit because after he tore his ACL, he tried to come back and play on it <laughs> and uh, it, it didn't, it didn't go so well. So, um, you know, the, <clears throat> we have it, we've only seen the one season of, of what he's really looked like when he's put it all together. But a lot of people think he's primed, ready to go and that he's going to continue where he, where he left off, not only in 2015, but before he got injured in 2016. And so we're going to set the war number for, for Mike Moustakos, wins above replacement, at 3.0, right, which would be all-star caliber, if that's if that's uh, Approaching huge. it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Strong, so, yeah, strong, a, strong starter yeah. kind of level. <laughs> For reference here with Mike Moustakis, his in 2012 um, from his the as calculated by Baseball Prospectus, the WARP, he had wins above replacement player, by the way, but um, he had a 3.4 in 2012. And then in 2015, his best season, it was 4.7. So and keep in mind, all you know, the war warp calculations have, have their own kind of quirks to them. But so we're going off the baseball prospectus one to keep it in mind here. But so we're going to set that over. We've set that over under at three. Um, so as far as 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 where he'll be, do you think that that is something that's achievable for Mike Mustagos? And do you think over under 
he's he's going to go either way on that. I I I feel like over. You know, I when you look at what he did in those seasons, you know, even going back to 2012, you know, that season, yeah, he hit the 20 homers. Um, he played pretty good defense that year, so he, you know, a lot of defensive value kind of comes into this for that 3.4 warp value. Uh, but you know, he, his slash line was only 242, 296, and 412. And I certainly think that he can do that these days. He's matured as a hitter. He doesn't. He makes good contact. He sees a lot of pitches. He does have that power, you know, like we saw last year, um, that he can just really hammer the ball when he's in the zone. So um, that's kind of your baseline. If I think that is a, a repeatable season for Moustakis. Now, the, the, a couple of things. The defense may not be that good, and he hasn't looked very good on defense, the games that I've seen him uh, on TV uh, some of that may be, you know, he he didn't start playing third base. You know, he didn't play the field uh, for the majority of camp up until, you know, two weeks ago. So there's a lot of kind of getting that, his legs back under him, you know, after a, an ACL surgery. Um, so that may be one part where he sees a little bit of a hit on his value. Um, you know, his range may not be the same as it was even a couple of years ago, even though he, he doesn't have a lot of range, but you know, he's pretty sure handed. He has a good arm. He has good instincts, good reaction time. So that's where it kind of comes from. Um, the other thing that I think may drag him down is we, we, you know, when he got hurt last year, back in May, we looked at kind of just briefly, you know, what the general kind of prognosis would be. Uh, and not just, you know, the fact that he was missing the season, but also going, going further and that a lot of times players who have, you know, ACL reconstruction, like Moustakis, they play fewer games in future seasons. So it may be something where he needs more frequent days off. Uh, perhaps the Royals could use him as a designated hitter in those situations. But, you know, there's probably going to be some days where he takes a full day. And so if that means that he, you know, if he is otherwise healthy, he may only play 135 games as opposed to 155 games. Uh, so that, that could impact that value as well. But, you know, I also think that, you know, you look at 2015, he had a strong season, good batting average, good on base, good slugging, um, good isolated power, number of, of 186, 22 homers. That's, that's pretty good. Um especially in Kauffman Stadium, and especially when that season he was really focusing on hitting against the shift, and he was more than willing to take that single to left field uh, and not necessarily selling out for power. Now I think he's probably found a happy medium where he can maybe hit for power but also try to hit against the shift and find those gaps where he can. So I think he can land somewhere in between those two seasons and uh you know the the net of that would end up putting him over the three warp um but uh, you know there is that caveat that if he does miss time you know warp does accumulate it's not necessarily a rate you know it's it's going to be hard to play and get three warp if you're only playing 50 games you know it's just it's that's not going to happen mike trout <laughs> maybe could do that yeah he could probably do that <laughs> but Moustakis, probably not. So if he's healthy, I think he can surpass that. If he has to miss some time or has complications, then it may be close. But I would say over. I think he will be fine. I think he will play well. 
and I think the bat will be there. So I'm going over. Yeah, and you know, I I think this is another one where I'm inclined to agree with you that you know, and I think you brought up a good point that he's really found that happy medium between selling out for the power and, and taking that oppo hit if he needs it, you know, and and it, it, you know, it seemed to be that. I mean, he came, he came up, and he was, you know, he had he had the all-time home run record in California. I think he still does. I'm not sure if he does or not. But at the time when he was drafted, he had the the all-time home run, high school home run record in California. He had, uh, <clears throat> you know, he had that uh, fantastic season in uh, 2010 where he hit 36 home runs in the minors, and you know, obviously he he was billed as the home run guy. He was between Hosmer and Moose. Moose was the guy that was supposed to take down the Balboni record. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think early in his career, I do think there was quite a bit of him just selling out for power. I have to hit home runs. And those, you know, baseball is that sport. Unlike any other, I think where these things can snowball on you so fast where, you know, if you're Mike Moustakis, I have to hit home runs, I have to hit home runs. Oh man, I haven't, I haven't hit any home runs yet, or I haven't hit as many as I thought I should hit. Or man, that last one, I know I was so close, but it turned out to be a fly ball to the second baseman. If I do the exact same thing, it's just going to be a home run. And then every time, it's still a fly ball to the second baseman. Yeah, the moose so, up. <laughs> the moose up. That's what we called it. You know, so, you know, I think those days are gone. And his ability to say, okay, I'm going to sell out for power now because I think I know what this pitcher is about. You know, I, I just a more refined approach is something I think he's reached. Whereas, you know, before it didn't matter the situation. He wanted to hit a home run. It felt like. Well, now you know if there's a guy on second and it's the second inning, you know, a home run would be nice, but you don't need one right now. Let's keep this line moving. Let's start something early. Let's try and get this pitcher out of the game. So if you take that, you know, hit to the take the ball to left center because that's what the pitcher gives you and the guy from second base scores well you score a run anyway and you're on either first or second base and you're in pretty good shape still so you know i think he's kind of matured his approach to that point and well i don't know that the 284 um kind of the 800 plus ops is the guy that he will will be this year and or in the future you know i think pretty close to that i think we can expect you know, I think he's I think a, a reasonable expectation of him being a 265 type hitter and a 750 plus OPS with you know 25 plus home runs or so uh, is or 20 plus home runs or so and maybe reach it to 25. I think that's rather rather reasonable. So I think mm -hmm. all of that's going to contribute to him being uh, above a three war warp player for the season. So with that, I think we'll go in. We won't go as as in depth into next uh, next ones here, but we'll just kind of do some quick hits. <laughs> so first annual lightning round, <laughs> yay! <laughs> the lightning round. So so for um, let's just let's just let's just throw it out there, Mike. Do you think the Balboni Homer Demon is felled and expelled back to his home demon world? this season or do you think he remains in the bowels of coffin stadium uh i think it survives one more year yeah damn it damn it i think i agree with you on that one yeah i don't know that i see i see a lot of people that are capable i don't know that i see anyone that's actually going to do it um so we'll, we'll we'll dial it back again for just a little bit 
okay. 25 home runs. Doesn't have to be Balboni's record. Do you think anybody, you know, last year Kendrick Morales hit 30, Hosmer hit 25. Do you see any players hitting 25 or more on this team this year? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think Brandon Moss has a career high of 30. Uh, we haven't seen Jorge Soler, but he was on, you know, as at least in a full season as a Cub. Um, as a Royal, he's probably going to play every day. Uh, according to baseball reference, he had a 21 home run per 162 game pace. Uh, if consistency and playing time helps him, he could do that. We've seen Hosmer at 25. We've talked about Moose. Um, yeah, I think someone hits more than 25. I would, I would go over on the team leader having 25. I I will go under. I don't think the team leader has. I think it'll be around 22, 23, but I think there's going to be a lot of people that have it. I think Gordon's prime for a bounce-back season. I think he'll have over 20. I think Moose will. I think Haas will. I think Soler's got a really good chance, and I think Brandon Moss does as well. So I think you're going to have – a lot of guys. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly. I think you're going to have maybe the most amount of guys in that 20-plus home run range that we've seen and maybe ever for the Royals. But um, this is – I mean, on paper, this looks like one of the most powerful teams the Royals have fielded in a long time. So I'm yeah. kind of excited for that aspect of it uh next we'll we'll move to uh, we'll stick with with offense before we move into pitching um lorenzo kane so he has had his issues last year or last year uh throughout his career with injuries we're going to talk games played for lorenzo kane how many we'll set the over under 115 games you think he plays more than that last let's get wait hold on let me pull up and see how many games he's played the last few years, just to get some, <laughs> yeah, some perspective here. I so jotted down 20... 103 last year. He had a lot yep. of nagging issues, <clears throat> hamstring, wrist, a lot of problems last year. Um, and then in the last month of the year, they, you know, they had little incentive to play him after about the first week of September. So, yeah, they weren't going to push it. Um, 115 games. I mean, I would say over. Um, we didn't really define this as part of the, uh, the 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 category, but is this 115 games as a royal or overall? Ooh, that's interesting. Um, let's say royal because it's too hard to imagine right. <laughs> if he gets traded, who he gets traded to, and what their scenarios are. So we'll say royal. So I, all, if he I gets still traded, say I'll over anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was an interesting offshoot. I still yeah. say over. I think, you know, some of the stuff, you know, his leg injuries, those can be, you know, frequent. They can be chronic. They can recur. But, you know, he was completely healthy in 2015. Um, so, I mean, they'll probably throw him in right field some. They may DH him some, give him a break, maybe give him some days off. But, Barring, you know, if uh, that would be about 45 games that he's missing, that's a month and a half. I, I don't know if there's going to be a month and a half injury that you can count on to say 150. <laughs> so now it's happened, but um, right. I, I would still say over uh, for, for 115 games. I, I think he can survive through that. I'm going to go with over two. I think um, – I would never question 
Dorenzo Cain in terms of like a toughness or anything. But if there was ever a time where he had a nagging injury and maybe he's like, oh, okay, I want to sit out a couple extra days just to make sure I'm right, you know, knowing it's a contract year and he's going to be a free agent and stuff, I think he would probably choose to forego that. Whether it's the right decision or not is irrelevant. I think he would make it. So like 115, I think that's that's probably an over for him. Um, last one for offense. Raul Mondesi. This was a special request from Clint Scholes to send this one mm-hmm. up there. He, uh, his over under was the Raul Mondesi 450 plate appearances, and coming up on June 1st or before, and staying with the team the rest of the year. So, I guess that's almost a two prong question. Do you think? Do you think Mondesi comes up June 1st or before, before or after June 1st, if at all? And do you think he gets more? or less than 450 plate appearances. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not completely he's had a great spring, but I'm not completely sold yet. Um I think that what they really 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 want to do is only bring him up when they know he's going to stay up and not have to send him back down. But I don't know that he's shown enough in just one spring to get to that point. It may be something where he needs to go hit in Omaha, show that he can hit 400-something in Omaha and play good defense um, and show better plate discipline and then gets called up and then is the second baseman through the rest of the year and just you know carries on once Alcides Escobar leaves. So I'll say under, but... That's just going to seal the the. Uh, he's going to win the second base job tomorrow now because I said that probably. <laughs> so, um, but I, you know, I I just don't think they want to, and I don't think they should bring him up unless he's definitely ready to do it. And the other guys playing second base, with Merrifield has hit pretty well the last couple of weeks in spring. Christian Colon has had a consistent spring. Even Chester Cuthbert, when he's played at second, he's actually been way better than I thought he would be. Um, he hasn't hit that well, but he's also probably the one guy out of that quartet that they definitely know they want to have around, um, and and definitely want to. He's the guy. Cuthbert is the guy they want to make an excuse to find at bats for, whereas the others, they're just trying to sort them out until at least Mondesi is what they deem ready. So I, I'm going to say under, but I'm probably going to be wrong. Yeah, and you know my my gut on this one is to go with under, but I'm actually going to go against my gut. And again, this kind of goes back um, to the Sal Perez. We'll call it the Sal Perez corollary, where something that makes the most sense that you think the Royals should obviously do, they won't do. <laughs> they definitely won't meaning, do. <laughs> meaning, looking at Raúl Mondesi last year, and he was just purely overmatched overmatched you know? and, and didn't look confident either look how no. many times he was trying to bunt because i think he felt that he could get a bunt down and knew his speed could carry him and i i think that's why he was doing it. i don't think those were by design i think it was okay i don't really feel comfortable swinging up here i'm gonna just try to get a bunt down and get this over with and maybe i'll get to first that's what i always kind of felt when i was watching him yeah and you know uh, he just yeah, he didn't look ready. There's no two ways about it. So knowing that, and it's not as, it's not necessarily his fault, you know. I mean, he's the like, Royals kind of took a chance. Yeah, he's 21 years old. The he's, Royals took a chance yeah. that maybe he would blossom at the major league level. It didn't happen. That's okay. Give him more time this season. 
and then let him really take off when he's when he's fully ready. Now, as you mentioned, he's had a pretty good spring, and I think the Royals are going to allow that to kind of have a, a lot more recency bias than they should. I think, yeah. <laughs> um, I think there's a good chance that he starts with the team after spring training because it's the Royals. But even if he doesn't, assuming he doesn't fall completely flat on his face, I think they move him up pretty quickly. Unless somebody like Whit Merrifield or Christian Colon just absolutely tears it, you know, in the early going, mm-hmm. and they can't, you know, they can't afford to 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 not play those guys, which I don't think is going to happen either. But ultimately, I think they're aching to get Raul Mondesi on the starting roster in any way that they can. And yeah. I think they will somehow. And I think it'll lead to him getting 450 more plate appearances, whether he deserves it or not. Um, so that'll end it for our offensive one. So now we'll go to the, the pitching side. So the biggest story from last year was the emergence of Danny Duffy. And one of the biggest stories of the off season, when he signed his new contract, is going to be a rough for a long time. He's the ace. He's. I, I don't believe Ned has made. Has he made the announcement yet that he'll be starting? I don't. If he hasn't made the, it's no. But it's, at this point, it's happening. But, it's so it's, it's going to happen. He's going to be the opening day starter. Now, um, so we'll, we're going to set the ERA for Danny Duffy for the season at three point five. Mike, what is and let's just I'm gonna pull up his stats right here. Last year, I think it was right around that three point five. Three point five one. Yeah, <laughs> last so. year. Um, so, and that was his, let's see, he had 179.2 innings, so the most innings that he's pitched in his career at the major league level. So give it to me, Mike, 3.5 ERA over under for Danny Duffy. I think he's going to be under that. I think he's going to do better than last year. You know, his September was, and maybe it was because he was starting to, you know, hit past where he was used to going. Um, you know, it may be something that he's, uh, you know, just kind of hit that wall and, and wound down. I think he can be a little bit better. I don't think he's going to be like under three or even 3.25, but I think he can be a little bit better. I mean, you look back at 2014, he threw 149.1 innings and, you know, had a, a two point, uh, what, 2.53 ERA. So, mm-hmm. and a lot of that, you know, 25 games started, uh, you, you can definitely see that he has that ability to to do that. Um, and it's that was before last year where he learned to not walk guys and became hey. more pitch efficient and struck out more guys. So, you know, I think that he's heading in the right way. He has looked great in the World Baseball Classic in the two games. Um, he's doing a lot of the things that he didn't do in the past, which is if he gets in a tough spot, he gets through it now, whereas before I, you know, and maybe it was just, you know, one of those things. But now he's he's kind of fighting through those and and uh, has shown a little bit better composure, better approach. So I think he's going to be better. I don't think he's going to be miles better, but the upside is there that you know, again, I could be underestimating how good he really is, um, you know. So it's possible that I'm right, but I'm wrong <laughs> in my overall <laughs> idea. But I, I think he will be under that this season. I think he's going to have a good year. Yeah, and I think he's going to be – I'm going to go with over on this one, but just slightly. You know, I still think he's going to have a good year. I think he settles in like that 3.65 range, which you know, you'd like – Which is essentially probably... the same season he had last year minus maybe right. some bullpen appearances where he was able to just 
breathe fire. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, still going to be a good, really good pitcher. Uh, just, and the, the reason for it is I'm, I'm not entirely sold on his, I I really, I want to be a, be a believer in Duffy so hard. And I know that, you know, similar to Hosmer, his peaks can make him, you know, if he were to maintain that level, he can be as good as, as just about any pitcher in baseball. I just haven't seen it enough to, to really think he can, he can really take off in that manner. But I think, you know, I think we know that he is a, you know, somewhere in that 3.6 to 3.8 pitcher. I think that's kind of his new baseline now in terms of an ERA. And I, I think that's, I think he's reached that level where we can say that, you know, can he take that next step and decrease that by half a run or maybe a full run, you know, and then become all of a sudden a Cy Young level pitcher? That's the question, but remains to be seen. So I'm going to go with over on that, but just slightly. Next on the pitching, uh, Kelvin Herrera. Will he get 30 saves? 30 saves kind of seems probably like a little bit of a low number, but um, the ultimate question, I guess, being are the Royals going to win enough to get that many saves, number one, but then also number two, is Herrera going to stick as the closer for the first year? For me, um, I'll start with this one. I I think this is an over. For me, I think he gets um, close to 40 saves this year. Yeah, I mean, I would say over is pretty good. Um, you know, last year the, between Herrera and Davis, they got 39 saves from those two. Uh, the year before, Holland got 32 saves with basically an elbow made out of hamburger. So, and Davis added 17. Holland had 46 the year before that, 47 the year before that. Um, even in 2012, when the Royals were not good, they got 39 saves out of Broxton and Holland combined. Um, you know, I think I think that uh, the Royals are set up as a team to be able to get uh, you know to get a lot of saves because they're gonna con- they're gonna stick to Herrera. They have a guy, they know he's the guy, and uh, you know he's got the talent to definitely shut down teams night in and night out. So I think the only thing that would prevent him is, one, if the Royals didn't do well in the first half, so they sold and started the rebuild in the second, and so you know they end up with like 65 wins or something. Um, Because then basically you have to get half those, you know, his saves have to comprise half the games, um, which can happen, but it's, it's, it's tougher. Or that, you know, the middle relief with the absence of, you know, Luke Hochaver's not there, Ryan Madsen is not there, Wade Davis is not there to get the ball to him. Uh, that's going to be, you know, maybe those leads aren't there for him to save later. So that that could be an issue too. But I think, uh, I think over uh, is definitely going to be in play for him. I think he's, he's got the talent to be a top five closer in the league. And if the Royals are playing well, that's going to translate to a lot of saves. Absolutely. So uh, next we'll move on to Joachim Soria, a bit of a sore spot for many. Um, yeah. We've chosen to set the ERA for Joachim Soria at 4.0. Let's keep in mind he is a reliever scheduled to be the uh, the eighth inning guy for, for most people's uh, assumptions. So um, I'll start again with this one. I call it sentimentality, Mike. I'm a, I'm a believer 
and Joaquim Soria. I don't think he has a year as putrid as it was as he had last year. I remember, remember we got to the point last year we were we kept defending him and he would he would do good for a little bit or do well for a little bit and then he would 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 do something awful and then eventually yeah. it got to the point where it's just you know what he's had a bad season nothing, yeah. nothing left to defend can't in this do point. anything yeah yeah so um but I'm a believer I think he can put it back together I think in the right role which hopefully the Royals will have him in I think he can do well I think he will have an ERA under four I agree I think so I mean just looking at his career numbers he's had two seasons in his life where his ERA has been above four and it was four point oh three in 2011. And 4.05 last year, for as bad a season as it was, ZRA was only 4.05. It's not like it was 5.9. It's not like it was 4.9. It's, you know, it was 4.05, which is not great. But, you know, I think it's uh, not as bad as you would, you know, I was surprised to look at it right now. And be like, oh, it's 4.05. So essentially this is asking, is he going to be better than last year? And I think he will be. I think that uh, you know, a clean slate will help. He's pitched well in spring training. Uh, I think he'll be able to do it. So I th- I'm going to go under on that as well. All right. Um, and finally, we'll wrap up with this one. Innings pitched for Ian Kennedy. Ian Kennedy had a, I don't know if you'd quite call it a surprisingly good season, but you know, considering how specifically he started the season, yeah, he had a he had a really solid season last year. Um, pitched 195 innings, which is the most he'd pitched since 2012, and had an ERA of 3.68. So, 195 innings. Do you think? Uh, I'm sorry, 190 innings over under. Do you think he eclipses that mark again, or do you think he falls short this year? Um, I'm going to think that, well, just looking at what he's done in the past, he's often followed up. Well, I mean, I don't know. 2011, he threw 222 innings. 2012, he threw 208.1. But after that season, he threw 181.1. Um, it's going to come down to health. Uh, he made all of his starts last year, all 33. So if he's getting six innings a start, he's going to get to about 198 innings, about the same spot that he was at last year. Um, so for 190, I'm just going to think that, you know, if he's generally been consistently healthy and able to make all those starts, you know, 32 starts, 33, 33, 31, 33, 30, 33. Um, so he should be able to do that. Um, so I'm gonna. I guess I'll say over. I my, I was trying to find a butt there, but I couldn't find it. I mean, you know, there are some guys that just can hold up over that kind of a workload, and Ian Kennedy has shown, for the most part, uh, that he's able to do that. So I I'm gonna I'm gonna trust him, and as long as the home runs are at bay, um, yeah, I think he can pitch enough innings and and be, you know, be at least close to last year, and and maybe surpass it if he gets a couple of uh, longer outings here and there and uh, and, and, and kind of takes advantage of, of Kauffman Stadium some more. So I'm going to say over, though I wouldn't be surprised to be wrong about this one either. So <laughs> Yes, and I'm not sure how I missed 2014 for San Diego where he pitched two in one innings, and I'm sure I missed that. But anyway, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I also think over. You know, I think, I think he found a really good groove last year. I think he um, – I think he feels comfortable on the team. I think he likes pitching at Kaufman. I think that's, you know, it's a good, it's a good fit for him. Um, so, 
I'm going to go over as well. So I think I think that will conclude our over under, and we'll end the show here. Mike and I both have two bold predictions, <laughs> as is the custom on this show. So would we you didn't... like to start, Mike, or would you like me to start this time? Um, um, for my first one, I want to follow yours. So, okay. <laughs> so I'm getting. That's what I'm. We didn't talk about these beforehand either, so I, I hope we don't overlap. But yes, we might, but maybe not. I don't know. So you go ahead and go first, and then I'll do mine, and then I'll do my second one, and then you can finish up with yours. How about that? Okay, that works. All right. So to start, we're gonna. It's good that we finished on the pitching because we're gonna stick with pitching here with my bold prediction, which is, I think. Jason Vargas is going to have an ERA below four. Whoa, Jason Vargas. There it is. I, even though he's coming off the injury, you know, I still, he wasn't ever a gasser to begin with. He wasn't blowing pitches by people. He was, he's kind of a crafty veteran guy. And I think he's, again, I think he's similar to Kennedy. I think he feels comfortable, likes pitching at Kaufman. You know the the defense, the world's defense this year doesn't figure to be as good as it has been in the years past, where they've they've been on this run with the really good defense. But I still think it'll be good enough to give him a little bit of a bump, and I think he's going to be below four. He hasn't pitched that well this season, this spring training, but no. he is also <laughs> kind of getting back into that's that's why it's it. bold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after last year's Chris Medlin, your <laughs> my streak that my, was. Uh... That was My prediction machine. That was as far off as we've been in any of these that we've done because that was he was bad. <laughs> he was so bad. bad. I'm sorry if Chris Medlin's listening. Chris Medlin's not listening. You seem like an all right guy, Chris. But you yeah, he seems awesome. But he didn't can't pitch well. You're off this in 2016. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Um, I mean, I could see that his ERA for the Royals his first two full seasons was pretty good, and it was under four. Now we'll see how he. Um, you know, if the command is there coming off Tommy John surgery, but he's also been away for, what was it? July of 2015 where he got hurt. So by the time they start, it'll be almost, you know, yeah, I was actually August or was August when he had the surgery. Was it August? Okay. So August pops into my head, but I could always be confusing that because August was, was Greg Holland as well. This is like 17, 18 months or so by the time the season starts. So that's, you know, maybe that's where he's finally going to be comfortable. Um, you know, I guess he did come back and make a couple of appearances last year and he looked pretty good in them. So yeah, I, that's got a, a pretty decent shot there. Okay. So my, my first bold prediction is, a it's, it's pitching and okay. it's, uh, it is a throwback because I think that Kyle Zimmer okay. is going to throw 20 innings in the big leagues. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. say that again? What? Kyle Zimmer, 20 innings in the big leagues this year. Kyle Zimmer, 20 innings in the big leagues. Yeah, you remember Kyle Zimmer. I've heard of such a name. Um, I I have no no clue who this person is, but uh, I'm (laughs) sure he does, in fact, play for the Royals. That may actually be more bold than Jason Vargas having an ERA below four. (laughs) Not not even saying anything about how good or bad those 20 innings would be. Just that he does it. Right, that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, some of it will depend also in what role. I mean, if he actually comes up and makes four starts, that's a pretty good chance of getting that. If he comes up in July and he's a reliever, uh, it might be close, probably a good shot. 
But, you know, it's it's going to be just he's got to stay healthy, of course. I, it's, it's a hunch. This is all a hunch. I don't have any fine-tuned spreadsheet regression analysis here to say that, oh, this is yada yada. It's a hunch. He has had no yep. setbacks since his thoracic outlet surgery. He was throwing pretty well by reports uh, in his couple of major league appearances in spring training. So um, I think at some point he'll get up. I think he can pitch well enough in low leverage spots to kind of hang around and the Royals will find a way to get him at least 20 innings. So this is the year. This is the year it happens. This is, this is the year that's well, there it is folks. That's, I don't know what to say. You've rendered me speechless with your bold prediction, Mike. Yeah. I was happy about that one. <laughs> like, all, right. <laughs> like, all right okay so i'll we, do my we just can't quit you on this show Kyle Zimmer. but yes really with your next one my next one is uh and this was where i think we might overlap but i don't know but i think okay. that the royals are going to break their team record for team home runs hit so i think the uh you know the, the record for home runs in a season by a royals team was 168 set in 1987 of all years which was one of those years where the ball was rumored to be wound tight, you know, maybe a little jumpy. Uh, I think they called it the rabbit ball. I'm thinking it was 87. Maybe I'm thinking of the wrong year, but the Royals hit 168 homers. So, um, and that was at old Kaufman. So I, I okay. think maybe it's, uh, maybe that's the case, but I think they beat it this year. Now uh, in 1987, the Royals got 80% of their home runs from just six players. Danny Tartable hit 34. Steve Balboni hit 24. I think those are the last year with the Royals. George Brett hit 22. Bo Jackson hit 22. Frank White had 17. And Kevin Seitzer had 15. So altogether, they accounted for 134 of the 168 home runs. Last year, the Royals hit 147 home runs, which is like sixth most or so in team history. Um, not really. To, I mean, 21 or... Yeah, 21 fewer homers, but really per rate, it's, you know, they had about 0.91 homers per game. The 87 team had 1.04. I don't think that's that different, especially in today's run scoring environment. Last year, the Royals got 30 homers from Morales, 25 from Hosmer, 22 from Sal Perez, 17 from Gordon, uh, 12 from Cuthbert, who filled in fine for uh, Moustakas, and then nine from Lorenzo Cain. So they only had five guys in double digits. They did have a 30-home run guy. Uh, but that that group of six had 115 home runs, so only about 78.2%. Now, obviously, the Royals lost Morales, who hit 30 home runs last year. That's tough. But Big loss. Yeah, they, but they, they have a, a full season coming, you assume, you hope, from Mike Moustakas, a full season from Lorenzo Cain, you hope, a full season from Alex Gordon, who missed you know 34 games last year. So you hope that he's going to be able to come back. And he hit 17 in limited time anyway. Uh, plus you've got Hosmer, if he can make those adjustments we talked about at the start of, uh, of the over-unders. Plus you added Jorge Soler who is just a power guy, Brandon Moss, who is a power guy and a launch angle advocate. And you've got Pete O'Brien, who's probably going to see some playing time, and all he does is hit homers. So you're just trying to jump up 21 homers from there. You lose 30 from Morales, but I think you add 
significantly more than that with the other guys. So I think that uh, they may not beat Balboni, but you probably have – you've got one, two, three, four, five, you know, six guys who are capable of hitting 20 home runs. And if Pete O'Brien could hit the ball consistently, actually make contact and not strike out, he'd be another guy who could hit 20 home runs in a full season of at-bats. So I, I think that record at least will fall even if Balboni is still – survives interesting so my second bold prediction does not necessarily overlap but it does conflict with yours so my second bold prediction is that i think jorge soler who still has an option left mind you will get sent down to the minor leagues at some point this season uh-huh. so <clears throat> If you remember from the show, I was I was a pretty big believer in Solaire when they started about what he could become. Not necessarily that he will be anything, but just the believer in the mm-hmm. potential, if you will. And the reason I've kind of soured on that is, you know, obviously he hasn't had a good spring. But I don't know that, you know, looking back at his history, um, Dave Lesky made the point to us in our, our Slack chat that he, he's never really had a good spring. So I don't know. He may just be one of those guys. There are people out there like that. They just don't have good spring trainings, and then it doesn't really affect their season. They maybe they choose to work on certain things. But one of the reasons I've soured is his the um, kind of mental makeup is one of the things that you've really heard a lot of people talk about, and how he puts a lot of pressure on himself to really be that guy. And I think there's kind of some whispers that maybe him being traded to the Royals may have, you know increased this a little bit more and that he really wants to be that guy for the Royals. And I can see him getting off to a bad start, things not going his way, and then trying to do the the vintage Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakas <laughs> move of, of trying to hit 10 home runs with one swing. Right. And then that snowballs on itself. And next thing you know, you're hitting a buck 50 in May and you're Mike Moustakas and you get sent down. It's a similar <laughs> scenario happening. I could very well see, you know, I, I surely hope it doesn't, but if I'm going to be bold, I think that's a prediction that, that at least in terms of reality of happening, it's it's mm-hmm. in the scope of things that, that could happen. It's possible. I mean, if the you know, there's a certain point with the Royals, what they've got in like Jorge Bonifacio and Hunter Dozier, if they want to put him in the outfield. I mean, those guys have had pretty good springs, and it's entirely possible that they could sit there and say, "Yeah, we've got guys to give him the mental break to do something." Um, if it, if he needs that wake up call, that you know, adjustment, that time to just take the pressure off of himself. I mean, yeah, it's feasible and he's adjusting to a new league. That's going to be, you know, another challenge. Um, yeah. I mean, hopefully he's been hitting the ball a little bit better lately. It seems like I haven't seen every game, but it kind of seems like he's starting to, to get a little better, but yeah, it hasn't been a good spring. And when you consider that he was, one of their key acquisitions and you traded Wade Davis for him. That is, that's tough. Um, and it would be really a bold move for the Royals to do that. Uh, considering those circumstances at the same time, you know, maybe long term, maybe that's not a bad thing for him because they do have him for this season and three more after. So if they think that that's going to be something that makes him a better player overall, maybe it is. So, 
that is bold. I would be very surprised to see that happen, but it is entirely plausible that that could happen. Yeah. So, um, that's, uh, those are the bold predictions. <laughs> yep. Those they're are pretty, bold. they're pretty bold. If I may say so myself, you know, I think we've, uh, the Medlin one was bold last year. I got this pretty bold. Really hard. I got burned really you hard got on that. So nailed pretty hard. I don't remember what mine were. Mine were pretty. Meh. I think Dylan G was one that he was going to be significant. He yeah, wasn't. And there was a there was a brief two week period where you were not wrong. <laughs> right, right. He was, was pretty was okay. It, was it in that July starts. run where he had like three starts that were like really good? And I was like, hey, wait a second. Hey, I got something. Yeah, might be all right. Yeah, and then he didn't. Yeah, that it just didn't, it didn't do anything. I don't remember at what least, else I had. At least this year, at least for the Jorge Soler one, if I'm wrong on that, at least it's a positive for the team. Sure. Right? Yeah. Because it's, <laughs> he's doing well enough not to be sent down. Like with the Vargas one and then with the Medlin one last year. And, you know, if I was wrong on those, it's bad news. Yeah. So at least in this scenario, it's it's good news if, if I'm wrong on Soler. Yeah. Yeah, the exercise is does lend itself towards the optimistic side of things generally. But you're right. I mean, it's bold is bold, and that would be for the Royals to say, "Hey, this guy is not ready for us right now." For a guy they traded, you know, the Terminator for, <laughs> that would be bold. That would be uh, fans would riot. <laughs> but <laughs> yes, they would not be happy. But most of them would have all are probably already asking them to send him to Omaha anyway on like Facebook. So. You know, so it goes. So it goes. Um, all right. Well, I think with that, we've, we'll end our jam-packed show here, of course, as we were like, oh, we can just kind of run through these. Shouldn't be a big deal. But here we are, hour and 40 minutes later. Um, but thank you so much again. Uh, you know, Thanks to Troy for joining us. Uh, it's been kind of – it's always good to have a little – a little trip down memory lane talking about everything that we've we've been through on this show and its many iterations and how much fun it's had so you know thanks to you mike for for doing this with me every week and and oh, putting up you. with my my everything and uh <laughs> still still letting me do this show with you i appreciate it i appreciate the hard work you put in and uh i'm looking forward to another royal season yep and uh if Anybody listening out there, be sure to come out and join us at Kelly's on April 3rd for opening day. Um, you know, it's not going to, you know, I think a couple of years we did that all-star thing, and that was really cool. We're not really going to be recording the show like we did then, but uh, we're going to try to get a bunch of people out there. We're going to try to gather some gifts. We're going to have some Kelly's gift certificates that we want to hand out to some folks. Um you know, just things to pay it back to the listeners, to our, our followers on Twitter, people who put up with us every week. So, um, you know, that might maybe, uh, nah, okay. I'm going to think out loud there for a second, but I'm not going to think out loud. So <laughs> April 3rd, April 3rd, come to uh, Kelly's Westport Inn. Um, join us, watch the Royals face the twins. It's probably going to be Danny Duffy against Irvin Santana. Which Irvin Santana is fun to watch. I like Irvin Santana, even though he's a twin. Yes. So, you know, that should be pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, that's the, the kind of thing. And then uh, a week after that, the Royals are going to be starting their, their home schedule. So 
that'll be cool too. So it's getting getting to be that time. Getting to be that time. So make sure you make the appropriate plans to come out and join us at Kelly's for <laughs> opening day. Or the inappropriate plans. I don't or, know yes, what you're about. Either, I... either way, <laughs> just make sure you're there. As long as we're not we implicated, be, it's fine. And it will be fun. Uh, so with that, we'll end this show. Again, thank you so much for listening, for for being on this ride with us for six years, even if you haven't been here the whole time. Six years. But six years. Man. It's been phenomenal. It's been fun. We couldn't do it without, obviously, as we mentioned, our sponsors, Kelly, Baseball Perspectives Now, but also – Without you, the listeners, thank you so much for listening. We, we really do appreciate it. And we love you all. So uh, we're getting close. Only only a couple more weeks until this season starts. Um, so stick with us. We'll, we'll, we'll grind through this last part of spring training and get there together. Uh, we'll be back next week with more Kansas City Baseball Vault. So until then, thank you so much for stopping by. And as always, go Royals. Thank you for listening to the Kansas City Baseball Vault. You can follow us on Twitter at KC Baseball Vault. You can also find us on Baseball Prospectus Kansas City at bpkansascity.com. You can follow BPKC on Twitter at bprokansascity. Also, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, through Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you like. And if you have any questions, comments, or if you just want to say hi, send those emails to Vault at gmail.com. So my bartender just, I tried to take my soda with me to my room, and my bartender gave me a cup that had a hole in the side. So I'm pouring it in, and it's flowing right back out the other side. Well, that doesn't work, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't work very well that way. I'm, I'm guessing cups were not designed that way initially. <laughs> I have a great idea. You can take your beverage anywhere you go. There's one catch. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.